In episode 16 of MobyCast, John and Chris discuss how they recently troubleshot a client's distributed systems. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about containerization, Docker, and modern software deployment. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Chris and Rich. It's that time of the week for another MobyCast. I'm excited to talk today. How's it going? Hey, John. Hey, Rich. Good, good. Yeah. So, Rich, what have you been up to this week? Uh, so, this week we've been focusing on. Uh, there's a transition happening in WordPress. They're moving more towards JavaScript, and they're rebuilding their their editor in uh, React. It's a project called Gutenberg, and so um, it's been a project for like almost two years now, I think. But only recently has it really started to show how powerful it's going to be. So, as a business internally, we've decided to go all in on it. Um, so we're now heavily uh, diving into JavaScript and trying to learn that thoroughly. So we'll be probably focused on that for the rest of the year. That sounds fun. And what about you, Chris? What have you been up to? I am busy packing. Um, so I am uh, getting on a plane tomorrow, heading out to San Francisco for DockerCon 2018. So it's going to be fun. It's been uh, three, four days out there. Um, all things Docker in containers. I'm picturing a graph of how much you'll learn each day, and it's a step function as you run out of new learning capacity and get more tired as the days go on. Yeah, I need to stop by and the store and get a few more RAM chips or something. Yeah, yeah. and as for me, you know, this past weekend was the GoPro games unveil, and they used to be the Teva games, and it's just amazing to see this this event that went from like, oh, let's have some weird sports um, several years ago to now like 100,000 people and, you know, booths everywhere and GoPro booths, you know, climbing and slacklining and just wall-to-wall entertainment for people. It's it's craziness. It's, it's so interesting to see how, how big that's gotten. And it actually made me think that, um, it made me have, have this realization that as we do these trainings, these trainings for people that, that we're teaching um, containerization and Docker and running on AWS that maybe we should start offering some of them up here. There's just so many fun things to do up here that uh, I bet we could could entice some people to come up to the mountains of Colorado for some of this training. That's rad. Yeah. I love that. I love the GoPro games. I'm, that's probably the piece that I miss most about Vail. They are so fun. So uh, today we're going to talk about troubleshooting. Um, at Kelsus recently, we've had you know a couple of things come up that involve our containerized infrastructure and um, it wasn't as simple as stepping through code or looking at a stack trace and seeing, oh, this is what's obviously wrong. It involved some peeling back of layers and thinking about the infrastructure. So we thought we'd talk about the thought process that we went through. So maybe we can just start by describing what happened. You know, tell us what happened. When did it happen? What were people seeing, Chris, when we realized we needed to do some troubleshooting? My hope, before, we, before you even answer that question, my hope was that... We, we got a nice alert that told us exactly what the problem was and how to fix it. Is that what happened? Yeah. I mean, the, they're, they're <laughs> in the ideal world, that's what would have happened. Sure. No, I mean, the, the symptom was, was uh, deploying a new, a new microservice to support a mobile application. Um, and uh, upon deploying that and starting to test it, um, seeing, um, seeing failures and calls to a dependency, 
Um, and those failures did show up as alerts um, coming through the whole um, the whole system through the through the logging system, and then being raised as an as an alert um, using Sumo Logic. So we knew immediately when these things were happening. Indeed, um, the big question was like, okay, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. So we're getting some alerts, uh, and the the service that we put in it's just not. It's, it's timing out, did you say? Yes. So um, the um, the first version of this mobile app was going straight. Um, there was no backing microservice to it. Instead, it was going straight to a to this back other back dependency um, controlled by another group, um, by another team, um, and uh, for various reasons to kind of add on, um, you know, additional functionality. Um, for this mobile app, um, better um, traceability, debugging, troubleshooting, whatnot. Um, there was a need to for us to create a, a microservice, um, a specific microservice for this mobile app to communicate which, through which some of these core core calls that the existing app was making would be proxied through that microservice. And so okay, that's so- where we that's where we ran into problems was the, where these these calls that were being proxied through our new microservice to the back dependency, which were the exact same calls that the existing mobile app was making. All right, so we, we should probably give some things some names here. Otherwise, it's going to be hard to talk about the the dependency and the microservice and which one are we talking about here. So let's give everything a name. So we've got a mobile app. That one's easy. Let's just call it the mobile app because there isn't another one. And then we've got. A microservice that's sort of the proxy. Should we call it the proxy service? Mm-hmm. And then a backend dependency. Let's just call it the backend service. So we have a, a mobile app, a proxy service, and a backend service. And you're saying the mobile app is making calls to the proxy service, and the proxy service is in turn making calls to the backend service. Is that right? Correct. Okay. In, in the and existing the, app, it's the the mobile app is making those calls directly to the backend service. Okay, so so before there was no proxy service, and now there is. And mm-hmm. um, the mobile app. So, what is the aside from these alerts that are saying, "Hey, there's some timeouts"? Is there any uh, anything that's happening to users? Are users notice, noticing anything because because of these timeouts? Mm-hmm. So, th- this is a brand new service. Um, it's not yet rolled out to customers. So, um, we're it's just being tested, right? So, okay. it's doing, so so the only ones affected are just us doing our own test to make sure that everything is running before we go and deploy this and, and roll it out to all of our customers. Okay. Got it. And so as we test, uh, what are we seeing? Are we seeing the mobile app sitting there spinning all the time, every time, sometimes what's happening to us as we test? Right. Yeah. I think, um, I don't, I don't even think we got that far. I think it was just, we're using some, some test tools and it, May very well be scripts or curl um, making these API calls against the um, the proxy service um, to do these the the various bits of functionality that the mobile app needs to do, um, and then the end result is then seeing these these timeouts that are happening um, you know on the in the backend app. You just mentioned curl, and you reminded me of a conversation that we had when this was going on, and I think it's worth repeating what you told me about how curl ended up being kind of the proof that we needed. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of gets into a little bit of like, okay, how do you go and, and troubleshoot this? Right. Um, and I don't know if we want to, maybe we could lead up to that um, and, and, and get to that um, 
and talk about just like, okay, how do you just go about like, these are the symptoms. Um, we can talk a little bit about like what happened, um, the path that people went down. Um, and then kind of like, you know, stepping back from that and peeling it back and really, I think, cause really what I want to highlight about this is this is a super common issue that I see time and time again is that, you know, distributed systems in the cloud, um, microservices, containers, networking issues, like these are very complicated systems. Um, and you can't Google your way to an answer. You can't stack overflow your way to an answer. Um, you really have to have a good understanding of all the different parts in your system, what's communicating with what, all the various paths where failures can happen um, to be able to troubleshoot this. Um, and so time and time again, I see people just kind of getting stuck immediately out of the, out of the gate and, and kind of just making guesses um, about mm-hmm. what's wrong and then going and just throwing things against the wall and seeing what sticks. I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to add in, I guess the reason that I have, I was going down the road of, um, you know, why did we use curl was because the thing that I want to point out, the thing that makes this even more classic and even more like, as you say, the, a common type of problem that people have to deal with is that, there were two teams involved. And so whenever there's two teams involved, you do get a little bit of human troubleshooting as well, like pointing fingers. Oh, no, it's on your side. No, it's on your side. So that that was kind mm-hmm. of what I was getting to. Yeah. So, okay. So now now that we've sort of revealed that there are, you know, teams that, that maybe don't see eye to eye about where the problem might be, now, now we can kind of continue down the road of, okay, so what did we do? What happened? Who did what? Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, where we're at is, so we know that we have this existing client that's making these backend calls. Um, we're not seeing anywhere near the kind of error rate with that. Right. So like things are really kind of working um, this has been out there in, in, in live production now for many, many months and it's working very, very well. Right. We're not seeing the, these kinds of error rates, you know, we then deploy this new proxy service um, to be a middleman between the mobile app and the backend service. And right out of the gate, just in very limited testing, we're seeing high error rates, like on the order of kind of feels like 50%. It's probably not that high, um, but, you know, it's it's definitely a very high percentage of calls are now timing out. And, you know, the head scratcher here is that it's ma- it's it's making the same calls, right? Like that the mo- the existing mobile app is doing that the existing mobile app is not having issues with, but our proxy service is, right? So that's where, um, kind of like where we, you know, the existing like the problem where we start off with the initial state, and so what kind of happened was um, just when when so we reported the timeouts to the other team, um, the um kind of like the consensus was among um, kind of everyone was like, oh, timeouts. Um, that means that you don't have enough computer power, you know, computing power, right? So um, there is a, a backing database for that backend service. Um, and so people were thinking, oh, we just need to go increase the size of that database instance, right? And therefore we won't have these, these timeouts. And that's kind of the route that people started going down and, and quite a few people looking into that and trying to look at database performance and, and seeing if there were queries that could be optimized or indexes or how to move to a bigger instance. What are the repercussions of that? And I was kind of watching from the sidelines and saw that. And that's when I started asking some, some questions because, um, you know, it doesn't feel like that this is, even though sometimes, you know, timeouts are in, 
you know, indicate that, hey, um, something is overwhelmed. Um, you know, it's not necessarily, I mean, that's not the only reason why, why you would get timeout. And the thing that stuck out to me was, you know, you have this existing mobile app that is making the calls straight to the back to, to the backend service. And it's not seeing these timeouts. Um, we're only seeing the timeouts through the proxy service. Which that is such a weird thing, right? Because as soon as you say that, it's like, oh, must be the must be a problem in the proxy service. Like, exactly. Yeah. That's the thing that changed. So mm-hmm. it must be at fault. Right. Yeah. And so you start asking yourself, okay, what are the dependencies here? Like, what are the what are the communication paths? Like what's talking to what? Right. And then um, because it it leads, I mean, there's a lot of things actually where this could could be going wrong. So um, it could be something as silly as the code in the proxy service, the way that it's making HTTP calls to the backend service. Who knows? Maybe it's configured incorrectly and it's set to like a two second timeout or something like that, let's just say. Right. And so it could be timing out prematurely. I don't think I don't think at that point that we even knew exactly like how long these timeouts were, right? Like, was it, was it 60 seconds before it timed out or was it kind of like an immediate timeout or was it somewhere in between? Um, I'm not sure we actually had that, that data, but that's, that's one place where it could be going wrong. Um, you know, and let me just, let me just pause for a second here um, because this is, you know, both Chris and I are familiar with this problem and what happened, but I just want to make sure that we're explaining it in an understandable way. Rich, are you, are you following this? Do you you kind of see? Can you picture the the architecture in your mind? You know, a, a mobile app calling a proxy service that calls the backend service. Yeah, yeah, I'm following right along. Okay, great. Okay, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Chris. Let's continue. Yeah, you know, so one place where it could be is it's it's actually in that code um, for the for the proxy service. Whether it's a, a misconfiguration on how it's making its HTTP calls to the um, to make these API requests to the backend service, it could be um, who knows? It could be a permission problem, um, a security issue. It could also be, you know, this gets more into like um, cloud specific and architecture and, and networking, but. Each one of these services um, is always fronted by an ELB um, and ELBs themselves. I mean, the way you have to kind of think of it is, I mean, they're, a compu- they're basically a computer themselves, right? I mean, like 99.999% sure that um, ELBs and Amazon are software load balancers, not, not hardware devices. Think of just them by as the way, a- ELB is an enterprise or sorry, elastic load balancer, right? Correct. So the, you know, the, you, you have these, you can think of it as, it's, just, it, it's definitely, it's another hop, right? And it's another thing with, with software in it that's making decisions and whatnot. So ELBs and Amazon, they all have um, timeout logic of their own. So, and these are settings on the ELBs themselves. Um, by default, they're set to 60 second timeouts. So it means for um, incoming requests that come in. And so maybe to back up just real quick, like you said, ELBs, Elastic Load Balancer, Really what they are is they are a way of um, turning a collection of stateless services um, into a, a cluster that can be um, that you can basically round robin through. So it gives you both scalability and availability. It manages. So you know you'll you'll you might have an ELB with like three instances of your service behind it. Um, and then this way you have three times the throughput. Um, and then also, like if one of those services dies for some reason, you still have two that are up and running that can still answer that question. So these ELBs, they get these incoming requests um, to say, I want to access one of those things. I need I need this this capability, this service call. 
um, the ELB will then route it to, to, to one of those instances. And then when the instance responds, it then proxies it back to the, to the original caller. Um, all that said, the ELB, like if the request takes longer than the timeout period, it will actually terminate the connection and return back a, a 503 um, error code to the caller, um, which is kind of interesting because it could be that the backend, that whatever service is behind that load balancer, it may still be crunching away and working on it. And, you know, right. maybe it takes 70 seconds for it to complete. And as far as it's concerned, everything is, is just fine. Um, it just, what happens, it doesn't realize that the ELB gave up on it and terminated the connection. So when that, when that service behind it finishes and sends it the request, it's going out to, you know, basically dev null um, right. because the client got disconnected. So that's something else to consider in this whole puzzle is, you know, is it an ELB timeout or is it a timeout actually in the service itself? Hey, this is Rich. You might recognize me as the guy who introduces the show, but is pretty much silent during the meat of the podcast. The truth is, these topics are oftentimes incredibly complex, and I'm just too inexperienced to provide much value. What you might not know is that John and Chris created the training product to help developers of all skill sets get caught up to speed on AWS and Docker. If you're like me, and feel underwater in these conversations, head on over to ProDockerTrading.com and get on the mailing list for the inaugural course. Okay, let's dive back in. One thing I just want to be, I just want to make sure we're using the right terminology. Um, on ECS, is it ELBs or is it application load balancers, ALBs? An ALB is a type of ELB. Okay, okay. All right, so the ELBs come in three flavors. So you have your application load balancers, which are path-based routing, and they they work at uh, uh, layer seven. Then um, the basically H- they, basically they only would do HTTP and HTTPS. Okay. Um, so they're they're working at the um, at the application level. That's why they're called an application load balancer. You have the classic load balancers; um, those work at the network la- level, layer four, and so those can then um, work across you know all all the different protocols. Whether you want to do TLS, or if you want to do SMTP or POP3 or whatever, um, whatever internet protocol you want, it's working at sure. that networking level. And then they have a, another one called a network load balancer. And that one is at um, an even lower level. Um, of okay. network. It's like, it's basically like more like the, the pure metal version of it. So three, three different types of flavors of, of load balancers. And with ECS, some of our services may very well use classic. We prefer the ALB because um, usually um, there are advantages um, to the ALB. There, um, you can you can um, you can actually front multiple microservices with a single ALB right. if you kind of design your your routes correctly. Right. Okay. Sorry. So yeah, I was thinking about that, that exact thing, um, which is why I thought, oh wait, it's ALBs. Anyway, so. You've just discussed. Here's what here's what our load balancers are doing, um, and and so to kind of go back to the problem, we just need to get some proof around what's happening because still the you know the service is working unless you call it through the proxy. So what what happened next then? Right. So yeah. So then then you know. So the suggestion is is like okay. Well, let's let's see if we can kind of like isolate part of this. So like, what if we just do a um, you know, do a curl against um, the actual backend service itself, and can we can we actually see these these um, these timeouts happening? Are they happening um, that way? Right. So that way, you're now you're removing the 
You're removing the proxy, the proxy. service from it. You're removing the ELB um, of the proxy service from the equation. Um, and you're now going back to that, you know, that's straight back to the, to the backing service. So as a first step, let's like, let's go see what that, what that gives us. Right. Um, and so in doing that test, what happened was, um, one of the people on the team, when they did that, they saw that, um, yep, sure enough, one of those, those calls timed out after about 60 seconds, but then they did it again and it came back with a successful response in three seconds. Right. So like radically different, mm-hmm. um, you know, experience. And this is kind of keep, keeps happening. Like sometimes it takes, you know, really long at times out and other times it's kind of like normal and it just, it just responds. Um, so that's kind of what we had next. And, and, um, the, uh, so like the, um, the team was kind of like, well, let's see, it's proof. Like the, it's, it's the other, it's the other team's problem, right? The, right. They are, they are timing out. Right. 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 It's like, not the proxy service's fault because curl going directly to the backend service still shows the timeout. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So then it's like, well, let's let's dig a little deeper here and see like what's going on because um, the thing that sticks out there is this this wide discrepancy, right? So you have sometimes it takes sixty seconds and sometimes it takes three seconds, and it's really um, it's not like it's like the sixty second calls are all happening in a one hour window during peak hours, right? It's like these are back-to-back calls, right? Mm-hmm. So that's really, so in a way that's, that's, it was super good news, right? Because it's like, okay, this right here, this, this smells like, um, we have some, some, probably some sick server, um, some, some, some degraded server that is in that cluster behind the ELP, right? That's not, that's not working correctly. And so what's happening is, you know, for those requests that time out, they get routed to the sick thing and this, whatever maybe it's just it's really slow it doesn't have enough memory maybe it's having problems with disk space it's swapping um whatever something something's going on so um and so that kind of makes sense right that matches up with kind of like the behavior that we're seeing and so the the next step is to you can just enable verbose mode on curl right to see exactly the steps that are happening when curl is trying to make that request Mm -hmm. Um, and that's when um, things got even more interesting. So when we turned on verbose mode for curl and make these requests, um, what was happening is that on the ones that were timing out, it was making, um, when it first did its um, initial attempt at this, it was basically, it was, it was looking up the DNS record, right? Um, the DNS record for this is actually... Um, uh, round robin DNS. So the DNS entry, because this is a load balancer um, and because the load balancer was defined to be in three AZs, that means there's three separate actual load balancers um, and they all resolve to the same DNS name. So just call it like elb.amazon.com is the DNS name. And in that there's three IP addresses for the DNS record. So curl, what it does is it says, okay, you want to make a connection to to dns.amazon.com or elb.amazon.com. Um, and when it does that, it looks up the DNS record. It sees there's three things and it's up to the, it's up to the client implementation, what they want to do. Some, you know, really the, you know, you probably clients should do something like round Robin, um, or, or whatnot, but they don't have to. So it's just, they can pick one of those three, those three addresses and go ahead and, and, and make a connection to that IP address. And so what we're seeing is that when, um, for a very out of these three IP addresses, one of them 
when, it, when the client first picked that one, that was the one that was not responding. And so in curl, what was happening is it was, I think curl had a, had a timeout of about 15 seconds. And so we'd see this wait. It's like, you can see it, it resolved in verbose mode. You can see it did the, the DNS resolution. It resolved it to the IP. It tries to make a connection to the IP and it's just hanging there for 15 seconds. It then times out, gives up, and then it goes back to, to the DNS record and says, I'm going to try another one. And so it grabs another one. And when it grabbed the other one, then it went through, it connected just fine. Right. And so this, this happened very multiple times. And every time that it failed, it was that one IP address um, out of the three that it was trying to connect to that just wasn't responding. Right. So this, this was really, really, you know, interesting and, and, and good information to have. Cause now we knew that the actual, it looks like the problem is, is it's the problem with the ELB. Um, it's not with, um, you know, the, the backing service or anything like that. It's, it's the actual ELB that's having a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when that, um, kind of making, when we figured that out, that light bulb goes off where it's like, okay, <laughs> why would an ELB, um, go bad? Like why, why would it have problems? Um, and chances are it's, you can't reboot an ELB, right? Like you know, it's a managed service. Um, Amazon controls that. So the likelihood that like it's overwhelmed or you know it's um, you know at a dis whatever right like that that's probably not the cause. So instead, it's probably something related to networking um, and security and permissions and whatnot. So um, so with that, then can go into Amazon um, into the console for the ELB, look up that ELB and see how it's configured um, and. When we did that, we, we saw that um, it was correctly using the three availability zones. Um, but what happened was um, the subnet definitions that it was using turned out the one ELB that was not responding back to request, it was on a subnet that did not have an internet gateway. So the because of that, it was no it was basically hidden from the from the internet. Um, from internet request. And so that's why it couldn't service these requests is because basically it was that particular ELB was configured to be a private, you know, on a private subnet, it's a private ELB that's not supposed to um, connect to the, to the internet. The only way really to connect to that would have been if you were actually inside the data, inside the AWS data center itself, either through a VPN or on another machine that's actually inside there and using the private IP. You know, and that's something that I always keep in mind is when uh, is that um, when networks are are unobtainable through to the internet, like when you cannot route to a network through the internet, um, the behavior is typically a timeout as opposed to a refusal or or something like that. It's, you you usually get that try and try and try and try and okay, I give up, even though and you know that the that the network is there and it should be available, but it but when it times out, that's when you start thinking, hmm, is this thing accessible to the internet can it be reached mm-hmm. absolutely yeah so like I said, definitely um for sure that's like a, a big um you know smoking gun and it's like this is either a routing <coughs> networking issue or it's a permissions issue that's preventing that from yep. happening right yeah yeah and so the fix for this was really simple it was just like hey we need to correctly define this elb to use a subnet to make sure that all the subnets that it's using do actually have internet gateways so they can talk to internet traffic. And so once that 
that incorrect AZ was swapped out. Um, the subnet um, for that AZ was swapped out to one that that was correct, that actually had an internet gateway on it, then lo and behold, everything worked just fine. So the thing I'm still confused about is, is why was it that the mobile app before the proxy didn't hit, have the same problem? Mm-hmm. Isn't it hitting the same ELB DNS name? Um, so that's a great question. Um, and it's because of an architecture decision um, where there's actually two ELBs fronting that backend service. Um, so there's one that fronts it for public um, calls um, and one that's for internal only. And so what happened was, because it, the, if, if, if going against the internal only one, it would have been fine, right? Because that meant that in order to access the internal only one, that whatever was connecting to it was not on the open internet and it could make that connection um, mm-hmm. versus, um, you know, going through this, this other. So, so the part of it was the back of the, uh, the proxy service was trying to go through the public interface. Um, and that was causing some issues. I think there was also some affinity for how the, the client was connecting to the public facing ELB on what ELB it was connecting to as well. Mm, interesting. Well, I'm glad we didn't just make a bigger database. <laughs> Amazon's bummed out. But, you know. <laughs> so, so how long did this take for you to figure out? 10, 15 minutes, maybe. Um, oh, I thought it was a lot longer than that from the well, time the, we really- yeah, from the from the time from the time that like the problem originally surfaced to when it was fixed was probably like three days and involved quite a few people. Okay, and then um, when I from when I got involved and again, again I had the um, uh, the opportunity to kind of look at it with fresh eyes and come at it from a different angle. Um, that's the part that was um, it went rather quick then. Okay, got it. Well, thanks for taking us through that um, really interesting troubleshooting uh, lesson, really. Um, And we'll get back to each other in in a week and talk some more. Awesome. All right. See ya. Great. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye. Bye. Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash one six. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.